This is going to be our, our last uh, passage in the Gospel of Luke for a while. Um, we've been making our way through uh, a number of different places in that Gospel, thinking about meals and about eating and about tables and about how all of those things reveal to us the character of who God is, of what He desires our relationships to be like with one another. Uh, next Sunday, we'll, we'll sort of culminate or finish this experience with a praise and worship Sunday, and, and a few of you will be sharing a little bit about uh, how some of what we've studied in Luke, but also uh, how sharing tables with one another has been um, encouraging uh, and um, life-giving to you. This morning's passage, though, is, is uh, in the 16th chapter of Luke. And it comes uh, right in the middle or, or in the middle into the end of an entire chapter that focuses on one thing. And it's, it's a chapter that warns us about the power that wealth, the power that comfort, the power that uh, material possessions can exert over our souls and our relationships and our realities. Most of us are probably familiar with verse 13, here in chapter 16, where Jesus tells us, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And by masters, he says at the end of that, that verse, you cannot serve both God and money. They, they compete for, for mastery over us, for our, our devotion and our desire. And in Luke 16, to, to illustrate that truth, uh, chapter 16 actually has two parables, one at the beginning and one at the end, and then Jesus' teaching presented right in the middle of those two stories. Uh, and both parables are about a certain rich man, and, and they illustrate slightly different points. Today we're going to look at the second of those parables, which begin in verse 19. But this like we've been, we've been looking at these, these past few weeks in the month of May, this parable comes in, in a series of parables in chapters 14, 15, and 16, several of which have to do with meals and with tables. And I would argue that, that in all three chapters, we find a parable about a meal where there are missing persons. One should be at the table and isn't. Chapter 14, we looked at a few weeks ago, was the parable of the great banquet, where many who were invited refused to come to the table. Last week, we looked at the, the parable of the father's table, or the parable of the two sons. And at different points in that story, both of the sons are missing from, from the father's house, from the father's table, and from his love. So today, I want us to think about, as we come to this last parable, Luke 16, who is missing in this, in this setting and from this table? As we think about these things, let me pray for us that the word of God would challenge us and, and would lead us. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that the law of the Lord is to be desired above riches, above wealth, above comfort, that your way revives the soul. But your way is also challenging, Lord, for us to receive, and to obey. So Lord, I pray as I teach, may you empower me that my, my words um, 
would be fitting, Lord. The words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is Jesus' story, second story in Luke 16 about a certain rich man. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Let me pause in the story there for a second. Jesus is telling us a story that that primarily concerns two men. And I'd like to think of the way Jesus describes these two men as, as sort of like parallel lines. If you can remember it back to geometry, parallel lines uh, can often be in proximity to one another, can be close to one another, but they never end up touching, right? These two men, in many ways, have, have many things in common. They live near to one another, maybe even on the same street, in the same neighborhood. Quite possibly, they are of a similar age. And Jesus says that these two men even die around the same time. Their lives are lived in parallel. But what's striking about this story is that for the incredible proximity of these two men, like parallel lines, their lives never meet. They are prevented from ever knowing one another. And the the thing that seems to prevent this from happening, to prevent them from becoming intersecting lines, is their differing access to one thing. Wealth, material possession, money. They they are walled off from one another by the the blinding power and an obstacle of wealth. And in just a few verses, Jesus paints a rather vivid picture of of these two differing men. Verse 19 tells us about a certain rich man who Jesus says was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. I think Jesus wants to imagine a rich man who is all about being rich. And he describes for us his daily existence. He says, imagine a rich man who every morning when he wakes up, he puts on the the finest Egyptian linen, which is essentially the finest Egyptian underwear you could purchase. And after he's clothed in these designer fabrics, then he goes to the closet and picks out an even more glamorous wardrobe to put on top of that. Garments of purple, dyed purple that would have been among the most expensive things to possess. And after he is properly dressed, he goes out to a table set with luxurious food. Not just occasionally, but 
every single day. He banquets, the, the verb implies here. He, he's eating what most people might eat only once or twice in a year, maybe even in a lifetime. This man eats every single day. And so for this man, wealth determines how he dresses, how he acts, what he eats. In many ways, wealth defines his identity. But Jesus says, imagine another man that each day at the same time as this rich man is sitting down to eat in luxury, another man turns up as well, a man named Lazarus. But instead of of being wrapped in the finest garments, in designer comfort, instead his body is, is clothed or covered in sores and infection and disease. Verse 20 tells us not only is is he suffering from some kind of skin ailment, but also that he likely can't even travel to Lazarus's, or sorry, to the rich man's gate under his own power. He's brought there someone, a family member or a friend, who sees that Lazarus is simply in need of something to eat. Clearly there is more than enough to eat in this rich man's home. Every day there's more than enough to eat. But the the rich man, Jesus says, his gate never opens to Lazarus. Instead, it seems as though the, the gate of the rich man's home is ingeniously designed to keep Lazarus out, to obscure him from view, right? To keep those two lines from intersecting. One man feasts while a hundred feet away, perhaps, another man hungers to eat even the the compost scrapings from his table. But Jesus says no one in the rich man's home acknowledges his presence. The only people who actually attend to and acknowledge what is happening with him are the dogs on the street who stop to, to lick his wounds. And this situation continues likely day after day for for months, maybe for years, until finally we can presume either from hunger or from neglect that Lazarus' life comes to an end. And Jesus says not long after, his, his rich neighbor also dies. But even in, in death, these two men's fate is different. If we read between the lines, it seems Lazarus is left there on the street, unnoticed in death, unattended to, while Jesus tells us the rich man receives a proper, a, a dignified burial by his family. So again, two lives lived out nearly in parallel, but prevented from contact, from relationship. Until in verse 23, Jesus continues his story, and he reveals how upon death, things are reversed. The tables are turned for these two men. Verse 23, Jesus says, In Hades, where the, the rich man was in torment, he then looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. 
So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Excuse me. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. In this middle part of the story, it's almost as if Jesus is, is retelling the first section, but in reverse. Because in nearly every respect, the, the circumstances of these two men are, are inverted, are reversed following their death. Firstly, we're told that, that Lazarus, after being abandoned there in death on the street, is, is found by God's angels, by God's messengers, and he's brought to the bosom of Abraham, to the side of Abraham, which is likely a, a sort of a metaphor or an image of him joining a feast where you would recline at the bosom or at the arm of, of the one hosting the feast. Lazarus is seated there as a guest of honor at a meal of comfort and celebration and welcome. But at the time of, of Lazarus's feasting and welcoming, we're told the rich man discovers he has a place set aside for him in Hades, which is described as, as a place of burning and agonizing thirst, an unquenchable thirst. And in verse 24 now, again, with this idea of reversal, we see the rich man calling out to Abraham in much the same way that he would have heard Lazarus crying out to him from the gate outside his home. Have mercy on me. Take pity on me. Help me. But we also catch a bit of, of the, the habit that this rich man has of telling others what to do. And as he pleads for mercy from Abraham, he also orders Abraham to send Lazarus to, to be his servant, to bring him water, to cool his tongue there in Hades. But if we look at Abraham's reply, verses 25 and 26, right, his words are sobering. And Abraham begins to explain the, the justice behind this reversal. Firstly, we see that the, the rich man's table, banqueting and feasting, which he carefully guarded and kept to himself during his lifetime. That table has been reassigned. It's been given to Lazarus now, where he can feast in the company of those who will welcome him, the righteous who desire to know him, to sit beside him. Secondly, Abraham describes how in, in the sense that during the rich man's life, he had a gate 
carefully constructed to keep everybody else out, to keep himself blocked off and separate from the, the people of the street who would come to beg. Well, now, so too, in the, the life after death, a great chasm has been set in place that blocks off the feeling of the righteous with those far away in Hades. In many ways, Abraham seems to be saying that for the rich man, he is now reaping in the afterlife what he had sown throughout his earthly life. And so hoping to spare his family and his family name and their reputation from now experiencing, from the thirst that cannot be quenched, the rich man makes a second request of Abraham. Verse 27. See if I can move this forward. It says, The rich man answered Abraham, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and to the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The rich man's final request here in verse 27 implies that what allows us to ignore the suffering of our neighbors, what prevents us from acknowledging what others experience is is a lack of warning, a lack of awareness. The the, the rich man says, "If, if only I had known, right? If only if someone had told me, if someone had alerted me, to how grave the the suffering of of my neighbor was, to how grave a mistake I was making, then surely things would have been different. But Abraham reminds him that ample warnings have already been given. He says, you and, and also your family, you have Moses, you have the prophets. Listen to them. By which he means if if we were to go into the scriptures today and and look at the books of Exodus, look at the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, God makes it quite clear in those books that he cares deeply about the cries of the poor. He commands the people of God after he rescues them from Egypt that, that the poor among them, that the stranger among them, that the widow among them, would be included in every feast, in every celebration they had. So too, Abraham says, look at the prophets. Read Isaiah if you need to. And hear how God has already declared that true fasting is is the kind of fasting that, that, that God delights in when justice is done in the land and when you share your bread with the hungry among you. Abraham says, if you've read the scriptures... And you can't help but see how clear, how passionate, 
God is on these requirements. And so in verse 30, we see the, the rich man sort of acknowledging this, but, but pushing for something further. Almost as if he's, he's saying, yeah, 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 I know that's, that's probably written in here somewhere, Abraham. But, it, but if it could be more personal, if you could send a ghost back, perhaps, someone to come back from the dead to warn my family, then surely they would listen. But Abraham says, if they didn't listen to Moses, if they refused to listen to the prophets, then neither will they listen, even if someone were sent from the dead. Abraham says, this is my final word on the subject. As as 21st century Christians, I don't know that we spend a lot of time thinking about Moses and the prophets. I don't know how much time we, we let ourselves reflect on and meditate on the, the way that we sung about in, in Psalm 19 together this morning, the holiness of God, the justice of God, the way that he would call us to walk in with each other. But maybe we should. Because I think the argument Abraham is making here is that if we're not inclined to listen to and live according to those words, then we're probably not very inclined to listen to and to live according to the words of Jesus either, whom God has sent to us from the grave. These are the words of Jesus. This is the story of Jesus told to challenge us to think about our discipleship. And I don't think Jesus has any problem with whether we like to eat gourmet food, whether we appreciate fine clothing, whether we know how to throw a good party. In fact, I would say Jesus created all of those things as gifts on purpose for his people. But what Jesus does have a problem with is when the gifts he has created fail to serve their creational purpose, which is ultimately to bring people together, to cause the the rejoicing and feasting of all of those who are made in God's image. The problem, as we said last week, is when there are people who are missing from our tables. People in our everyday lives, people in our neighboring communities who we walk past on our way to to eating and drinking and being merry on our own. And so I think we're we're meant to to hear Jesus' words here as, as a warning, but also as a challenge to think about how we broaden that table. And as, as we wrestle with that challenge, the best thing I, I, I could think of to do this morning is to share a, a few brief images or examples of, of people and communities that I see doing this well and living out this gospel call in the everyday. This vision of, of a broader table fellowship in our community. And so let me just give you two examples. And, and these are both examples that you could go witness for yourself and spend time with right, right here. The first is, uh, is a group called Breaking Chains Fellowship. And maybe some of you have heard about this group. Marcus, uh, who's a part of our congregation here at JCC, was, was part of starting this group in Burlington 
a couple years ago, kind of at the start of the pandemic. And they, they gather every Tuesday morning. It started in Battery Park, I think, and now they meet in a variety of places in downtown Burlington. They have a place in Winooski. They meet indoors. Um, they share breakfast and coffee and prayer and Bible study together. But many of those who are part of Breaking Chains Fellowship are, are coming from places where they're dealing with addiction or with housing insecurity and homelessness or, or with a variety of, of challenges that, that life has presented for them. But I, I love that, that they share not only the scriptures together, but also meals together and fellowship together and, and time with one another. And I'm sure Marcus would welcome you as he's welcomed other members of JCC. I know Karen and Jody and others have gone to spend time with them to come visit on a Tuesday or, or at other times when, when he's down. Again, working to, to be in relationship with, to have lives that intersect with a broader part of our neighborhoods and communities. I think a, a second place that I see this modeled and, and a place that we can intersect as well is uh, the ministry at a new place, which many of you have been connected to over the years. A new place uh, started as a group of local churches seeking to respond to the issue of homelessness in, in Chittenden County. And one of the exciting things is that during the last two years, during the pandemic, the, the community and the work of a new place has actually expanded. Um, during the pandemic, they were asked by the city of Burlington to take over the low barrier shelter in, in Burlington. And so now every, every night they provide, in addition to the, the the 20 or so long-term residents at the North Street campus, they were able to purchase the Champlain Inn where between 50 and 60 people come every night where they're, they're given a place to sleep, a place to stay, they're given dinner that night, and they're given breakfast the next morning before they leave. And every, every night they have volunteers feeding uh, that, that group and that community that's coming and being a part of, of what a new place is doing. They have people who come during the week to lead Bible studies there at the Champlain Inn. They have people who assist in job finding. They have an incredible staff of, of social workers and case managers. And again, it's a community of people, I think, who are trying to share their table in a meaningful way. Who are trying to share their table in the way they see Jesus sharing the table in the gospel stories that we've read back in March and in April and this month in May. In any of those places this summer, if you have an hour or two, a free evening, um, you could log into the A New Place website. This is their, from their, their front page. You could sign up to take a meal. You could come visit with Marcus. I'm sure there are other people that aren't just in Burlington dealing with homelessness, but, but people that maybe we have not entered into relationship. We, we walk past, but maybe Jesus would call us to walk toward in a, in a new way, in a more meaningful way, and to join us at our tables. So let, me, let me pray for us as we, we sort of take all of these parables, all of these stories, and, and ask the Lord to make our table um, the table of the Lord that he's prepared. Lord Jesus, your truth is convicting. Your truth calls us uh, to a way of life that is beyond our, um, our own understanding, 
beyond where maybe just the inertia of our own desires and comforts would lead us. But thank you that you've given us one another. Thank you that you've given us people like Marcus and, and the community at a new place and, and given us others who um, help us understand how to live out this calling together. And will you help us to keep taking steps? Lord, that, that we might delight in the gifts you have given and delight in those that we get to share them with. It's in your name we pray. Amen.